Hey guys, my name is Crystal Kenny, and I'm in love with creating. All things artistic and imagination involved. I'm an American girl who chased her creative dreams all the way to Paris, France, making a living using photography. This podcast takes you inside the stories of all the artsy folks I've met along the way and gives you that extra push to discover your creative gifts. The desire to create is deeply inside each and every one of us, and I give you the tools and inspiration to find a new way of living a more creative life. This is La Vie Creative, the podcast. If you've been curious about the fashion world in Paris, then this episode's for you. Today, we speak to a fashion consultant and magazine editor as we dive into the secret world of trend forecasting with my guest today, Anna Barr. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening. If you want more bonus material and to support the show, head on over to patreon.com forward slash la vie creative. And also don't forget to check out Amazon where you can pick up my new book, Paris, A Life Less Ordinary. In the book, I talk about my creative adventures in Paris, from starting my business to being homeless, hello, starving artist, (laughs) to how I met all these wonderful creative people. Don't forget to check it out on Amazon. And also, thank you so much once more for listening and for your support. Enjoy the show. So welcome to the show. We've known each other for a long time now, and I just love watching you work as an editor, all the great connections you've had. You are in the fashion world. You go to the shows. You have a lot of great insight to that. So can you tell listeners a little bit about yourself and where you come from, what you do? I'm actually from Seattle, and I first moved to Paris in 97 to study. I was going to study there for one year, and I ended up staying until 2001. I studied haute couture at the time. That's a long study period. (laughs) You know, it was a completely different period for fashion because it was before social media, before the blogs, e-retailers, everything else. So it was very much stitch and bitch in the atelier. Yeah, very old school for sure. And then when I came back in 2010, it was a completely different world. And since then, I kind of changed directions because so many things moved online. I got into trend forecasting. And it was at the time that a lot of the books, because we used to work with trend forecasting books. I don't know if you've seen them, but they're these big, thick books where we come out with all the colors and concepts and textures and themes and stories two years in advance. And all those books started to to move on online by subscription. So it was a very different space within 10 years. Wow. And so can you describe to listeners, like, what is trend forecasting? Like, some people might not know what that is. So with trend forecasting... We propose four different stories, four seasons in advance. So that's two years in advance. Um, We begin with colors and concepts. So those will be basic colors for the season. And then we go into depth with with the stories and then with looks. Because we're working in advance, these are very much concepts and themes. So we're looking at macro trends, which are shaping the market and shaping the world and kind of applying that to fashion. So it's not fast fashion who are so trend forecasters, because a lot of them might do trends analysis and they might be copying something off the runway within, you know, six weeks, sometimes even two weeks. But this is very much just covering, first of all, product innovation, what will be coming out in terms of prints and the textiles, um, all of that. We work a lot with trade shows. The big one is Premier Vision, mm-hmm. and that's an industry show which sells all of the fabrics. Um, usually when the designers are working one year in advance, but we have to let all of people in the textile industry know which 
fabrics and textiles and colors to make for the designer. So that's another reason why we prepare all of the forecasts two years in advance. Wow. And so how do you decide like what is going to be, you know, the new thing two years away? Like what, what inspires all that from going to these textile shows? No, and the textile shows is really where we present our forecasts. One of the big things is you can't, when you work as a forecaster, you can't really look at the streets and say, okay, this is what's going to happen. Because by, when, by the time you look on, at the street, like a street seller on the runway, it already exists. For that reason, you really have to look at what's happening in the world. One of the big macro trends that we've had, I would say, for the last 10 years, but since Trump um, became president, it kind of reached the tipping point, followed by the Me Too era, was, was feminism. But as a forecaster... For us, it started earlier because when Hillary Clinton first ran against Obama around 2008, you know, here was a woman in pantsuit, she was wearing flats, and all of the designers were making dresses for either what we call housewives or whores, yeah. <laughs> not for this working woman. And we said, okay, we thought at the time that potentially we could have a female president then. Later, we saw a female president in South Korea, I think, like maybe two years after. So all of a sudden, it was like, no, we need to think about who we're going to be dressing in terms of the CEO at Yahoo, Marisa Mayer, who is a woman, and we need to kind of jump on this. And the feminism trend, you know, like I said, it took, you know, four or six years later where it kind of reached the, the tipping point. But it coincided with, you know, some other trends that, that we saw were going to be very influential for that decade. And one of them was same thing around 2008, you know, we knew that the 2012 London Olympics were coming up. Same thing, we are focusing on kind of women and sports wear, um, athletic wear, and kind of, you know, this is something that more women are going to be interested in because we want to run around. We don't necessarily want to run around in heels. And then you could kind of see that at the same time, a lot of that blended in with androgyny. Mm-hmm. So just looking at like, you know, feminism and politics, you can kind of see like kind of the basic way that it's translated today of just, you know, wearing flat shoes and not stilettos as we did, you know, in the noughties. And yeah. In the noughties, it was all bodycon and low cut, you know, and now it's more modest and, and minimalist. So yeah, you look at a lot of the different directions. One of the big so from the macro trend, you kind of break up, break down little stories of inspirations and influences because you have to create stories every six months. So you kind of look at the macro trends and you break it down, mm-hmm. you know, throughout this cycle. Now, since the London Olympics, because I mentioned that because Paris is going to have the Olympics in 2012, uh, sorry, in uh, 2024. So we know mm-hmm. that sportswear will kind of continue and streetwear street still has a, has a ways to go. The only difference now compared to... 2012 is is pretty much everybody now is more into sustainability and being eco. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So is that, that something you saw coming? We've had so many concerns in the industry and a lot of luxury designers have have been looking to solve that, but we have not necessarily the, the sportswear mm-hmm. and the streetwear because the streetwear and the sportswear and kind of this democracy and fashion is what's really exploded in, in this past decade. So entering... This new decade, we're like, how is this streetwear and sportswear going to continue and survive and be sustainable? Because we're we're now entering the generation Z. You know, the millennials are not necessarily yeah. the target market buying everything now. At this point, we're really identifying who the generation Z is. You know, they have their gen yellow, just like how the millennials have the millennial pinks, and who their icons are, what they're interested in, what they're worried about. Identify your market and and yeah, see where it goes. 
And so do you, how do you feel about Paris fashion in general? Like, I know you explore a lot of different levels of Paris fashion because, you know, everybody knows like the Coco Chanel and Louis Vuitton and all that. So (laughs) you're exploring kind of different sides of fashion, correct? Like, do you think that that, that the general Paris fashion that we all know follows trends or is just kind of like wearing the uniform that's been around for years? Well, I'll tell you something. I think when you say the Paris fashion that we all know, I think it really depends about how you want to, how you would identify that. And I'll give you an example. Two summers ago for the first time, Jordan Brand decided to to do the PSG, Paris Saint-Germain, Mm-hmm. uniforms and this if you, if you haven't seen them they look really well because everybody in Paris is wearing them especially in the north and all the suburbs it's a uh, black and white and the Eiffel Tower's kind of been replaced with a Jordan jump mm. so it's kind of interesting because he decided to enter with a Jordan with PSG which isn't basketball it's football yeah now the thing you have to realize as into why here and why not England or why not one of the Spanish football clubs is Jordan actually came in 85 to do an exhibition game and this really brought basketball to France and there's a there was a basketball culture that kind of developed because of him here and at the same time he brought over swag so the same time that this basketball was developing rap culture was developing in France so rap actually has the second largest market in the world is in France I had no idea yes yeah, so for him, because of this culture and the streetwear, and PSG is one of the richest football teams in the world, he said, okay, if I'm going to collaborate with a football team, I'm going to collaborate with them because he's already warm and welcomed here. And I think that a lot of people, when they think of Paris, they don't really think necessarily of the fact that their hip-hop and rap culture really developed and grew in line and with a similar timeline to the United States. And you have to remember also you know, if you talk to any French person, they said the French invented disco. Yeah. <laughs> French producers. So you have to imagine that they already had, you know, a lot of people working on beats and mixing and kind of this club culture. So yeah, club culture, sports culture, rap culture. These are some of the iconic Parisian things that I think a lot of people from abroad don't necessarily think about. I think and- so many people don't know. Yeah. And why do you think that isn't advertised internationally? I mean, I guess just locally, they make more money. Is that why? No, I think now it is. Because what's happened over the last couple of years, what's happened is more and more sportswear brands want to have the prestige of being associated with Paris. Same thing with designers from the States and rappers who come over to launch things. They're finding that this community here has always existed. Mm -hmm. So the way that they try to enter it Uh, is to get their cred working with kind of this French side (laughs) of of music, sports, and fashion that was, that's always existed. It's just never been sold before. So you're going to see that being sold a lot now. Hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah, it's not, I don't think of rap as the first thing I think of when I think of France, but it's very true. And actually, when I moved to France, I had some friends back home in America who asked me, can you send me some rap CDs in French? Like they got some great rappers. And I was like, I I wasn't even thinking about that because it's like not on even on my radar. But now more and more people are thinking about this and they want it. And Belgian rappers too. I never even knew about this. Great Belgian rappers and and women rappers. So one of the big 
macro trends that you're going to see, which kind of coincides with the Gen Z, is the stereotypical France has always been a very skinny French woman, slightly bourgeois, you know, a, a bit sexy, but understated. Mm -hmm. And what's happened in recent years is a lot of the French women have said that they're not represented because they yeah. come in all shapes, all sizes. And also the whole cliche about this kind of French sexiness, a lot of the women are saying, I can't dress like that because I might get attacked mm -hmm. or I don't necessarily want people to look at me and, and check me out. So, so there's going to be a lot of cliches which are being broken and which will be broken. I mean, just when I see some of the graffiti around Paris now, mm -hmm. um, some of the stuff says, like, je suis pas salope, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, like, I'm not a whore, I'm not a bitch, um, because there's kind of this, you know, this angry movement. It's a movement for, for equality, which is so different to when we heard the Me Too response from, like, Catherine Deneuve and Brigitte Bardot, like, that generation, which said people should be flattered versus the young generation that said, uh, walk in my shoes. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's a great thing. And do you think that social media is helping to propel that and make that louder? Uh, definitely, definitely. You have to imagine that, you know, in the States, body positivity is now an, is now an issue. It's an and issue. It is an issue. Yeah, like it's gone in the forefront because of people like Lizzo. People are talking about it. They want more representation. France has been very, very slow in, slow in this. Yeah. So this is one of the things that you will also see, you know, coming forward. Yeah, I think it's great. It's time for that. And I know there's some people on social media, I've been reached out, well, they've reached out to me to take pictures of them, like larger plus size women who want pictures to show like, I'm French, and I'm not mm -hmm. a twig. I think it's great. Exactly. And I'm French, you know, I might not be that the skinny white woman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you exactly. Know, I think that's another thing that people forget about is you know the, the cliche kind of this Parisian always tends to be a white person at the same time yes yes and it's a very diverse uh, country there's a lot of different people to be honest with you I don't think I would have settled down in Paris if it wasn't so diverse and so tolerant mm. because at the same time it's extremely open-minded yes I, I completely agree and I think it's a side that's also hidden a little bit that like foreigners don't really know that or see that. It's not something we really think about as visitors. And yeah, I'm curious. If you talk to people about it and if you can break the language barrier, then yeah, they definitely have an opinion. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I'm curious, how do you define fashion? You know, there it, it depends. I mean, in, in France, it's very clear. You have the chanson de cal, which decides who's on the official haute couture schedule, who's an invited guest. You have the official calendar for Paris Fashion Week. Of course, you know, if somebody is on the official calendars, uh, they are a designer, you know, that is fashion. There's obviously a lot of fast fast fashion that, that copies. Yeah, I, I don't know if, if it's what is fashion or, or what is style or what is trends because, you know, they all kind of blur into mm -hmm. one. It's a lot of gray area. And how do you feel about fast fashion? Do you think it's a bad thing? Do you think it's going to go away or only get bigger? I mean, people are changing and throwing clothes out so quickly now. There's like, what, 52 seasons now instead of four? I think that fast fashion will be on its way out here because people now want 
quality. They want less things. You have to remember people in France and in particular Paris, we have much smaller closets, you know. Yes, we do. (laughs) If I buy something new, I'm looking at my wardrobe and and I'm doing very much like Marie Kondo. Do I love it? Because I'm going to have to get rid of something in, in my wardrobe. And this is one of the reasons why quality is very important to French people. But now at the same time, they're thinking about it's more than just consumerism. I think between the fast fashion consumerism and the social media, it has taken a toll on people's mental health. Mm-hmm. And ironically, people are feeling more lonely now than ever. So by going more in a direction of sustainability and slow fashion, there's more of a connection to who who built your, you know, who who made your clothes, who who created you know, your, your item. And then, you know, you want to have it, you want to love it, you want to keep it. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is, is fast fashion employs lots of people. And it's a job and it's an industry. And I think what's going to end up happening is more and more young people and students are going to be like, is this an industry that I actually want to enter? Because yeah. it's very saturated, it's expensive to study. And you might not necessarily have a job after. So if those young people are not interested into buying into the hype and the dream and going into you know healthcare for example maybe COVID-19 might inspire young generation to become doctors and nurses but these things will also slow down the fast fashion and I think you know we have Etsy at the moment we have Bonquan we have Vestaire people are looking for lots of different options Um, but yeah fast fashion hires loads of people Mm -hmm. lots of jobs from from retail to manufacturing so it's more about, you know, what's the alternative for these people and what alternative can can we find? And there's some amazing designers right now doing upcycling, like Marine Serre, Coche, Andrea Cruz. And I think these are all French designers. I think we're going to see much more of that going forward. And if not necessarily buying their pieces, I know that Andrea Cruz does workshops and ateliers where you can learn to upcycle. And can you explain what upcycling is? So upcycling is pulling out, you know, denim, silk scarves, kind of sorting the different fabrics that you might find in the thrift shop, and then using those to to create a new garment. Okay, upcycling. I like that. I've heard of it before, but I wasn't exactly sure what it was. So it's like taking the best of what you have and reusing it. But what's happening is a lot of people are buying also dead stock. This is um, the scraps old fabrics that, you know, for example, Gucci might have used in the 80s, mm-hmm. you know, and now they can buy them for nothing. So what they're also doing is they're buying all this dead stock fabric, which would have been wasted, and also reusing, repurposing that. Um, but the same thing, there's a lot of, you know, track suits from the Soviet Union in the 80s, which people are now buying. It's kind of like when American goes to a surplus army store. Yeah. And they're upcycling these pieces. Mm-hmm. But what ends up happening when you upcycle and you make something new is technically it's it's like haute couture because you have a one-off bespoke piece. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it can solve so many problems and still have that uniqueness that makes it priceless. And I think with a lot more people thinking about the environment, and I think especially France is heading that direction that maybe we'll be seeing more of this upcycling. Definitely. I, more of the upcycling and, and more people learning how to do that. I think if there's anything that's going to come out of the COVID-19 it's more people interested in kind of having these skills that we used to have, you know, the generation previously had home economics. So we learned how mm-hmm. to cut and sew. And I think more people are going to 
to be wanting to go back. They want to have the power to fix their own stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, that's the silver lining in all this. Is yeah, to people... bring up a seam or to take out a seam, you know, to yeah. add a panel. Mm-hmm. At the moment, I'm taking some denim jeans and I'm taking another pair of denim jeans and I'm going to make a skirt out of them. I think that is a fabulous <laughs> idea. <laughs> and do you have any advice for people who are looking to get involved in the fashion world or are curious about, you know, what's happening in the Paris fashion world or the resources that you go to? Yeah, I, I think, first of all, if you just want to kind of have an overview of the fashion world, when you come to Paris, you definitely want to go to the bookstore at Palais de Tokyo mm-hmm. because they have an amazing selection of independent magazines. Same thing with OFR in the Marais. And I think you can also on Instagram, it's a great way to research stylists, photographers, editorial shoots I've been doing here. So once you have this idea, usually I try to tell people, like, start making notes. Start making notes of those photographers that you like or those designers that you come across or the movies that you've seen, or the music you've been exposed to, start doing mood boards, and then kind of file them in the back of your brain. (laughs) Because someday it's going to come up and say, okay, I have an idea. But also, I think the good thing is people need to ask themselves, do you really want to do this? Or do you just want to play, I say play fashion designer or play editor? Because Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people who just want to have this title, and they want to be seen a certain way. So it's like, do you actually have the skills? Do you actually know what's in the industry? Are you ready to do that? Or or do you just want to play? Because if you just want to play, that's a completely different game. That's a, a socialite game that you can do. Because otherwise, I mean, I studied. And most people here, I've never seen some over, so many overqualified stylists. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, yeah. You've actually really done your homework. Yeah, I, I think if, I mean, the, my first advice after I told after I said, like, pick up these magazines, research some of the other talents, you see the quality out there, then it's either study or intern, intern, intern. And are there any big names you recommend on following that inspire you? In stylists or photographers? Stylists. I think a, a lot of people here follow Lota Volkova. She was the stylist that kind of, you know, when when the whole um, Vetmon explosion happened here, she was the stylist behind that, behind Balenciaga when Dabna joined. So she's been kind of the, the stylist that people, you know, kind of look at for, for cool for, for the last five years. But I also really like Jan Weber. He mm-hmm. has a, a man, magazine, Anti-Dot, and he does really cool things. And all the people that he's worked with are, are really cool. And what about photographers? Do you have any favorites in the fashion world? I have so many favorites. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for me personally, my favorite photographer is Jorgen Teller. Okay. I love a lot of older photographers because I enjoy film. I prefer to shoot on film. Mm-hmm. And I also, for me personally, doing fashion photography, I like to look at people who aren't fashion photographers. So I love Larry Clark. I love Mary um, Ellen Mark. You know, these are people who captured people. That's what I want when I when I shoot something with fashion. I just I like to shoot on real people or and of course a model is also a real person, but I want to capture that realness to them. I want it to be very authentic. And when you look at photographers who are fashion photographers, you also get authentic locations. So what I like to do is look at those locations, look at those ideas and see how I can apply them to fashion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like mixing different mediums, which I find a lot of the people I've talked to do. Yeah, because I mean, when I was a student and we created our mood boards, we would go through loads and loads of different magazines and we would put something together or we would watch a film or see a book. And those are inspirations we had. And then 
what happened was we have a generation who just kind of, I call it like a Tumblr mood board or an Instagram mood board. They, they see the imagery, but they don't know the substance behind it. They might see an image, but they don't know what film it's from or what the film was about. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I, I, I like to do my research a lot and I really want things to come from a authentic place. And so that's maybe some advice you have for others is to do your research, people. Get lost. Get lost in a bookstore. Take your time. Be there. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. I think like fast fashion, we can think of like fast inspiration, you know, <laughs> like take some time to really figure out what you're looking at. Well, and it goes back to what I said about rap music. How many people have gone to Paris and, you know, listened to some music of like the last five years from here mm-hmm. or, you know, have looked at you know, some of these different areas kind of, I guess, off the tourist trail, but these are the places where people live, breathe and eat. And they're just as Parisian as the ones in the center. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's a lot more to France to be explored and not just the the stereotypes we all know so well. And is there anything else that you want to share with listeners, future projects you're working on, ideas? Um, Well, at the moment, we are wrapping up our spring issue of fucking young because I'm an editor there. It's a menswear magazine. So I love menswear. I actually interned at Hermes Menswear as a student. So that's kind of how I jumped from haute couture to, to menswear. And yeah, it was supposed to be our Olympic issue. That's why I said wrapping up because we did wrap everything up. And then we found out that, that the Olympics have been postponed. <laughs> so, <laughs> so now we've been going through and kind of editing it with a very different eye, very different perspective and, and reworking things. But I, I'm really excited for it to come out because I think it's also a time capsule mm-hmm. of what's happened. And in a very odd way, it feels almost like a yearbook, <laughs> kind of these strange times and days that we're going through. So I know that when we go back later and we we look at it, I can be like, okay, this is what was happening. This was when we didn't know when the Olympics were going to be. We were, we didn't know what the future was going to hold. We didn't know, you know, what's going to happen in, in fashion and if Paris will be the same. And yeah. A lot so. of, yeah, yeah, I totally agree. It's like a time capsule. That's a very good way to describe it. And I guess you don't know when it will be out now since you're kind of on hold right now. It should be out in May if, if delivery and distribution is on the way. So it really depends, I guess, country to country, how the distribution goes. And where can listeners find more about you online, your Instagram, your website, anything you want to share with them? Yeah, you can follow my um, uh, 35mm project. It's called Pairs, P-A-I, sorry, P-A-I-R-S project.com. And you, you can also find us on Instagram along with myself. Perfect. Thanks so much for speaking to me today. And I'm really excited to see where all this goes and, you know, learn more about the the forecasting. I mean, I had no idea so much went into forecasting. It's really a fascinating subject. It's an industry of its own. And it's not just fashion. There's forecasting for every industry. <laughs> yeah. You're like fortune tellers, but with beyond, more. Beyond financial and weather. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Thanks so much, Anna. Uh, thank you, Crystal. Thanks so much for tuning in to La Vie Creative. You can find more information on MissParisPhoto.com. And if you enjoyed this show, please feel free to share and spread the word for all my creative guests. We have the power to help them to keep doing what they love. See you next time.